0: real news. Welcome everyone to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is Friday, November 15th, 2019. We're like uh, a little bit um, less than like what? 10, like 10 days from Thanksgiving, which by the way, I'm really excited because I got news that my daughter, who is stationed, um, far away and I haven't seen her since May, is coming home. So, yay. Um, I'm really excited and, um, I can say, uh, even though the holidays are nearing, the, globalist cabal has successfully, successfully, uh, pushed the illusion that they have an upper hand. And I want anyone who's listening to this to understand that that is all an illusion. It is clearly an illusion. What is coming for them cannot be stopped We already know what they are doing. We already have. We've preemptively looked. Now, I can say that I am shocked that Roger Stone was found guilty on all these counts. And specifically, he was found guilty for obstruction of proceedings, false statements, false lying. So he got one, two, three, four, five charges of lying. And then witness tampering. I mean, seriously though, where's the server? They didn't even provide the server to prove his innocence. It's pretty insane i'm I'm really upset because Roger Stone is a really good guy. This was an unfair prosecution. I'm shocked. I didn't expect the judge to roll with it. Man, speaking of judges, speaking of judges, Contreras, I heard he was interviewed by a prosecutor, not Huber, and it was not um, Durham. It was another prosecutor. And I'll tell you about that uh, as we progress throughout um, this show. We're also going to break down Governor Matt Bevin's concession speech. Looks like somebody wrote it for him. And I'll tell you what it says. It's pretty interesting. And we'll also talk about Yovanovitch. I'm surprised they haven't started the hashtag. We believe her. Yeah, you know. We'll uh touch upon Turkey and NATO. I mean, there's so much to talk about. And you, if you think this week was jam-packed, like time, the perception of time. Correct me if I'm wrong. But on hump day, it seemed like it kind of like, you know how you have like a, a wave. It peaked on Wednesday, the time, and the perception of time, and it just stayed there. It felt like Wednesday was the longest day of the week. Next week, it's going to be almost instant. You're going to blink, and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, is it Friday already? Watch. Watch. So, I'm going to tell you about some stuff that I found out overnight. So, let's uh start there, which is you know that whole Puerto Rico 96 million billion <laughs> so much money that we gave them, could be trillions, right? Well, there was a woman, a deputy for that actually spearheaded this basically. So this chick spearheaded the whole Puerto Rico, uh, FEMA response. Now she was arrested in September. Okay. She was arrested in September. Asha Natif Tribble as the deputy regional administrator with FEMA, she was arrested, but here's the thing. After she was arrested and charged with like on uh, arrested on bribery, they raided her house at the end of October, like after her arrest. Now, you know, they're going on. She was giving these contractors uh, helicopters, credit cards that they could just charge whatever they want. And she was, it was like, oh, like she was accepting gifts from them and she was doing them favors. And, you know, obviously nothing was being done in Puerto Rico. I'm hearing a lot is coming out from that one. Now, also last night, there was a raid at some person's house in Washington, D.C. A huge raid. Now, whose house? <clears throat> Stevens. Who's Stevens? I have no idea. A raid, guys. They filed a search warrant on the 13th, and yesterday on the 14th at night, they raided somebody's house. Obviously, I'm not in D.C., so I didn't... Have a lawn chair with a phone there. And I actually confirmed that, uh, with, uh, the search warrant, uh, you know, registry on the Washington DC court site. So it's like, who, oh, who got raided? Who got raided? Like we're talking raided. So we have a lot, um, kind of happening. I thought maybe, um, we should start with something completely, uh, different. Gorbachev you guys remember Gorbachev, Reagan, Gorbachev, USSR, peace with Russia, etc.? Remember? Well, there was an interview that happened over 10 days ago, and I want you guys to listen to it. Now, I will be voicing over when he's speaking in Russian the actual um, transcription that's available for me. Take a listen. He tried to reform the USSR and ease tensions with the West. Let's begin.
1: How dangerous do you think the current confrontation is between Russia and the West? As
0: long as weapons of mass destruction exist, primarily nuclear weapons,
2: weapons,
0: the danger is colossal. All nations should declare, all nations,
2: that nuclear weapons
0: must be destroyed. This is to save ourselves and our planet. One of Gorbachev's biggest achievements was ending the arms race with America. He and President Reagan agreed a deal to slash their arms arsenals. But the arms race has reignited. Recently, both the U.S. and Russia pulled out of that treaty.
1: In the past, we used to talk about
3: the Cold War. How would you describe the current standoff
2: between Russia and the West?
0: (laughs) Chile, but still a war.
4: (laughs)
2: Look what's
0: happening. In different places,
4: there are skirmishes,
0: there is shooting, aircraft and ships are being sent here, there, everywhere.
4: This is not the kind of
0: situation we want. Thirty years ago, when the Berlin Wall fell, East and West Germany reunited. The USSR took the decision not to intervene. There mustn't be bloodshed.
2: We couldn't allow that over an issue of such magnitude for Germany.
0: For us, for Europe, for the whole world. So we declare we wouldn't interfere. Gorbachev and Thatcher had a strong relationship. So does he have Brexit advice for today's politicians? You can figure that one out for yourself. You British are clever dogs.
2: I won't give you advice.
0: You decide. So we have Gorbachev coming out talking about nuclear weapons. And uh, uh, again, we've been talking about nuclear weapons and what's going on. And this is important for us to understand that this man had created that start agreement, uh, something Putin has talked about uh, that no one is talking about, which talks about the use of nuclear weapons. And, you know, Russia's concerned because they discovered that Barack Hussein Obama had broken a treaty, an agreement they had on the disposal of nuclear weapons, on transparency of nuclear weapons, And he discovered that in October of 2016 at the end of it. And that's why he signed a law saying that we're withdrawing from this pact because the United States is not being transparent. And I mean, think about it. Russia being targeted and painted as the enemy, not saying they aren't, but I'm not saying they are right. You have to think of it as you being the leader of Russia, you being the leader of any nation, right? How would you protect your people? Remember, Russia is not a small nation. It's massive. It takes up a good portion of the Asian continent and part of the European one. So right now we have a position where big powers are questioning uh, the legitimacy and the honesty of other nations on how they are proceeding. It is pretty incredible, you guys. That in this day and age, in 2019, the biggest threat to mankind is us. The biggest threat to our future is not, you know, hairspray that they try to tell you is. Or, you know, not recycling your garbage. Or (laughs) using straws. It's actually nuclear weapons. And right now, the Ukraine is positioned in the middle of Europe to be the center of it. And they are brewing war, brewing for war. And I said this over a year ago, that when we see the war spark, it'll come from Turkey. It's all about energy. And you'll say, but Tori, we're talking about nuclear energy. Wouldn't that be Iran? Turkey is the line of defense for entry of Europe and Asia into the Middle East to get to Iran. Iran. And Turkey is, um, a nation, like I said, that doesn't have friends. This is why they're, you know, playing on both sides, the, the side that's supposed to be the enemy and the side that's the West. And that side on the West is also fracturing. You know, Macron came out saying NATO's brain dead. We don't need NATO. We're stronger. That's because, Okay. Where did all the nuclear weapons in 2016 go from the United States? Where were these containers shipped? Think about it. What is England doing up north? Think about it. But we already know. So there's no point in putting it out there yet. But in the back of my, in the back of your mind, just allow it to percolate. That we can predict anything. Because we have, there is a roadmap. And now how that roadmap converges and becomes one stable one is completely up to how we proceed. And what we see is that this globalist mafia, this cabal across the planet is fracturing the focus of all leaders, muddying the waters, making every nation turn on every nation, um, you know, but the nations that are planning this together seem to be united. That's where you have to look. Now, I want you to listen to this announcement that was made via Qatar-funded Al Jazeera, which also funds Waypo, which also works with Bloomberg and obviously Twitter. Just take a listen
4: involvement in Syria, and uh, he had a warning for Turkey. He didn't mince his words when he was talking about Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, throwing all sorts of accusations at him, saying that he's an invader, that his army is uh, embezzling the resources of uh, Syria, particularly in north, northern part of the country, to the point where President Bashar al-Assad vowed retaliation to the point where he said that we are even ready for war if the Turkish military decides to stay longer in the area. Let's listen to what Bashar al-Assad had to say.
1: The Syrian land is one and the theater of operations is one. From the far south to the far north, the Turk is the American agent in this war. We were fighting this agent, Turkey, everywhere, and whenever it struggled to do what it wanted, it left no option but war. This is obvious, but I say we will need to keep open the opportunity for the political process in all its forms. And if it didn't produce results, then we consider them an enemy, and it will get to war. There is no other option.
4: That frustration in the statement of President Bashar al-Assad is because the safe zone that has been implemented, which the Turkish government wants to be implemented along the border with Syria, is going to create huge problems in the near future for the Syrian government. It means that the Syrian army won't be able to take advantage of the situation and further expand its influence and recapture some of the territory it lost since 2011. And this is why Bashar al-Assad has been reiterating that if that status quo holds His government will be left with only one option, which is to take action to try to recapture the northeastern part of the country, including Idlib, which is the rebels' last stronghold in Syria. Hashim, thank you for that. Hashim Ahlbada with
0: the latest live in Shandorf. Thank you. Okay, so basically, uh, this is them saying that there will be war if we can't find a political solution. This is the Syrian president telling Turkey, and of course he can do so. Remember when I told you that Russian troops and Turkish troops were in the zone and they were like, they, they proclaimed on TV that they were working together. What did I tell you? They were assessing the situation on behalf of Syria. I already told you where war is going to break out. And the European Union set a fire to escalate that even faster because they don't care anymore. It's like balls to the wall. They don't care. So, what's important to understand is what our president says during his joint conference with President Erdogan. And then the, um, announcements made by the Secretary General of NATO, which were very telling. And you know what? There's only one recorded, um, part of that. You know, full statement, so hard to listen to. It's got trucks beeping in the background. It was the most, ugh, I'm so upset. Like, wh- what are these journalists doing? Why did they set it up in a place that was noisy and nobody could hear? But don't worry, Tory's got this, right? I transcribed the whole thing, um, listening to it over and over again so that we understand the key points. But I want you to listen to what the president said during his joint conference
2: with President Erdogan. Very important topics. Among those topics we discussed was the situation in Syria. Last month I sent Vice President Pence, Secretary of State Pompeo is with us, National Security Advisor O'Brien, thank you, to meet with President Erdogan in the hopes of ending all of the hostilities. The negotiations were very successful, and the United States and Turkey achieved. Uh, a tremendous amount on that day, and I think we're working toward uh, getting it better and better. It's a complicated situation. It's been going on for hundreds of years. Today, the ceasefire continues to hold, and I want to thank the President for his partnership and cooperation as we work to build a more stable and peaceful and prosperous Middle East. We've uh, assured each other that Turkey will continue to uphold what it's supposed to uphold. I'm a, a big fan of the President, have to tell you that. And I know that the ceasefire, while complicated, is moving forward and moving forward at a very rapid clip. There's a lot of people that want to see that work after so many decades and so many centuries, you might say. The United States and Turkey are working extensively on many other security issues, Turkey has the second largest armed forces in NATO after the United States, and they're a very strong second, I might add. And I'm pleased that Turkey has been steadily increasing its defense spending and is very close to the 2 percent of GDP range, unlike many of the other countries. At this moment, there are eight out of the 28 countries that are current in terms of their obligation financially. Turkey has made a vital contribution to NATO's resolute support mission in Afghanistan, and its partnership was important to our destruction of the ISIS caliphate. In fact, just recently, when we took out al-Baghdadi and take him out, we did. Turkey knew that we were going over certain areas. They were very, very helpful. We appreciate that very much. Good for both countries. We really appreciate it. We're grateful to President Erdogan and to the citizens of Turkey for their cooperation in the constant struggle against terrorism. He fights it like we do. Key to our security collaboration is our trade, defense and military equipment program. American foreign military sales to Turkey total many billions of dollars and Turkey, supplies component parts to many American defense programs. They make parts of the frame, as an example, for the F-35. Turkey's acquisition of sophisticated Russian military equipment, such as the S-400, creates some very serious challenges for us. And we are talking about it constantly. We talked about it today. We're talking about it in the future. Hopefully, we'll be able to resolve that situation. We've asked our Secretary of State and Minister of Foreign Affairs and our respective national security advisors to immediately work on resolving the S-400 issue. We've also recently agreed to work toward a $100 billion two-way trade agreement. Uh, Secretary Ross is here, and I think we've made tremendous progress in that. We have a lot of trade with Turkey, but it could be many times larger, and Turkey would like to see that. And it would also be good for the United States. So we intend to bring it up to about $100 billion. That would be four times what it is right now. Our goal is to expand commerce between the United States and Turkey, reduce our trade deficit, and ensure a truly fair and reciprocal relationship. Uh, We are, just for those of you that have any interest, we discussed it today also. Our uh, trade agreement with China is moving along uh, very rapidly. We'll see what happens, but it's moving along rapidly. China wants to make a deal that I can tell you. One of my chief priorities as president has been removing the barriers to American trade and investment and ending the illicit practices that harm our workers. We encourage Turkey to further open its markets, and they are doing that. They are doing that very much toward American goods and American services, our markets are open. Turkey is opening up their markets, and they're opening up rapidly. Mr. President, as we have seen in recent weeks, the U.S.-Turkish alliance can be a powerful force for security and stability, not only in the Middle East but beyond. I look forward to working with you and to your representatives. I want to thank you very much all for being here. I've gotten to become very familiar with all of you, and I really appreciate you doing a fantastic job for the people of Turkey. And I look forward to continuing to find a common ground, harness common purpose, and to advance the vital interests of our people and the abiding friendship between our nations. We have a great relationship, both personally and with the great country of Turkey. And uh, we look forward to moving that forward and making it an even bigger and better relationship. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Now, before we hear what Erdogan has to say, I want to point out a few things that our president pointed out. Uh, first of all, if you actually watch it, uh, there's a lot of refrain, and he didn't uh, feel comfortable stating uh, things that he said, but he said a, ho- a lot of nothing. What he said was that, you know, he acknowledged that Turkey has been paying their share in NATO. That's first and foremost because they can afford it, even though they're broke. Then he also said, and he, oh, and this was a big one. We all know that Turkey was not advised on the al-Baghdadi raid, but he said, and I quote, they knew that we were going over some places and that was very helpful. So. He ratted them out to their, his own people, even though they really didn't know. You, we need to listen to what Erdogan says so that we understand where this is going. He also talked about trade a lot. He said we need to increase our trade, you know, have these new agreements, maybe, uh, quadruple it to about a hundred billion and that there's a trade deficit that they have with us and we need to reduce that. They owe us money, basically. So he called in the money and he also said, um, you know, that they need to remove barriers for trade because they're very selective on who they trade with and what they trade. And um, he also said that they're going to be opening up our markets. But his closing was, yeah, you know, we have a great relationship, a personal relationship, a great one. And, um, you know, we want to make it better. And um, Turkey is, you know, going to get the it's even going to get better. And that he kind of inferred like we need to stick together and have a friendship. But if you see his face when he said it, it was just the way he spoke about Comey, just the way he spoke about McMaster, just the way he spoke about Tillerson. All you have to do is take a look. Your face says a lot more than you think. And after the break. We'll listen to what Turkey had to say. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. We're going to continue now as we um, played uh, President Trump's uh, you know, announcement at this joint news conference with President Erdogan. We highlighted how he said a lot of nothing and just talked about trade. He kept it very neutral. It was a very sanitized response. And you'll understand why after, uh, we hear what, uh, President Erdogan says. Take a listen.
3: Mr. President, my dear friend distinguished ministers, secretaries, distinguished distinguished members of the press. I would like to, at the onset, salute you with my most heartfelt emotions on behalf of myself and my nation. First and foremost, I would like to thank my dear friend President Trump and uh, the First Lady of of the United States for being such gracious hosts today. We've managed to comprehensively discuss all the issues in our agendas with Mr. President all throughout the day, and the discussions were very sincere. We all agree that we need to further profound our cooperation and that Turkish-American relations should be erected upon a strong and a very healthy foundation. I think we should remain resolved in order to open a new chapter in our relations which are in full compliance with our deeply-rooted alliance. We have reciprocally stated our will to fight terrorist organizations imposing a clear and a present present danger upon our national security. We have especially underlined the significance of fighting against Daesh in a sustained fashion, especially in the aftermath of the demise of Baghdadi, the death of Baghdadi. We have detained several prisoners trying to flee the prisons in Syria and come to Turkey. And we currently have more than 200 Daesh terrorists who have been incarcerated. And with the Operation Peace Spring initiated on October the 9th, Turkey took another step forward in fighting terrorism in a very resolute fashion. Our country, with this operation, blew a very significant impact upon the separatist agenda of terrorist organizations such as PKK and YPG in Syria. In order to further strengthen our cooperation in Syria, we believe we have gained a significant momentum with our October 17th agreement or memorandum. But in order to harm this memorandum, PKK and YPG are attacking our soldiers and the civilians in a very provocative fashion. And uh, in the last 24 hours, more than 19 attacks and harassing shots took place. And at the beginning of this month in Talabiad, a bomb was placed, an explosive device was placed in an outdoor market, and as a result of the explosion, 13 civilian lives were lost. Despite all of these developments, in order to settle the conflict in Syria in a sustained fashion, we are reiterating our commitment to our memorandum, our agreement with the United States. But some circles who are empathetic towards these terrorist organizations are feeling deeply upset. They are deeply disturbed and they are using this information in order to cloud the understanding of the public opinion and that that perception with the eventual gain or goal of harming our relations. And some historical developments and allegations are being used in order to dynamite our reciprocal and bilateral relations. Especially in the House of Representatives, some of the resolutions that were passed on October 29th served this very purpose, and hurt deeply the Turkish nation, and they have a potential of casting a deep shadow over our bilateral Relations And I shared this information with Mr. President. The decision makers in an incident that took place about 104 years ago should not be politicians but historians. We have nothing to hide and we have a full self-esteem in that regard. But I need to state very clearly that we are, as Turkey, on the side of dialogue and open discussion and debate. And we have voiced our proposals to the Armenian party to open the archives reciprocally and establish a history commission i believe the senate will take this take the united states out of this vicious cycle which happened as a result of the resolution of the house of representatives turkey and the united states stand side by side in order to fully eradicate daesh and in order to bring Peace and stability Syria once and for all. And for this purpose, we should keep on working together. Turkey remains, or it should be, the most reliable partner of the United States in this region to achieve these targets. We are the only NATO ally as Turkey who has fought Daesh in a very resolved fashion. And until so far, we have detained 7,680 foreign fighters, and we have sent them back to their countries of origin. And we have banned entry to 77,000 individuals who are considered to be affiliated with Daesh terrorist organization. Uh, And right now, in our prisons, a total of 1,216 Daesh members are incarcerated, coming from 40 different countries. We have quite recently detained 287 individuals, including women and children, who have fled the prisons that PKK and YPG used to control our country is being showcased as a target and this terrorist organization caused 304 Turkish citizens to die and against which we are going to keep on fighting and it's very important to understand that the foreign fighters should be accepted by the countries of origin and we have the same understanding with President Trump in order to convince the countries of origin to do this. This Distinguished ladies and gentlemen we have a borderline of 911 kilometers with Syria. And when the war broke out nine years ago, we were the ones at the forefront impacted heavily, and maybe the most. Currently, we have 3,650,000 Syrian refugees and a total of more than 4 million refugees. And we have spent about $40 billion, even beyond that, for these refugees in our country. And until so far, Europe only sent 3 billion euros despite a higher pledge through our NGOs. And similarly, we are providing sustained humanitarian aid to more than 3 million people living on the Syrian territory. Back in the year 2015, at the G20 Antalya summit, I launched an appeal in order to establish a safe zone in Syria. But because of the delay, hundreds of, uh, the tens of thousands of civilian lives were lost. This problem cannot continue forever and ever. Previously, with our Operation Euphrates Shield and Operation Olive Branch, we have managed to clear an area of 4,000 square kilometers of terrorist presence. And I agree with the proposals of the the President. It's very important to realize our goals. I said Operation Euphrates Shield and Operation Olive Branch. And through these operations, we've managed to repatriate 365,000 Syrians back to their motherlands, especially especially in Jarablus. And thanks to the Operation Peace Spring, we have secured many towns and many villages, and the rightful settlers are going back. We have shared our projects with President Trump and our several plans for the safe zone, and with the support of the United Nations and international community, we can repatriate many more Syrian refugees in the northern part of Syria. We're talking about an area of 444 kilometers in length and 32 kilometers in depth, one million people can be repatriated. And in Raqqa and Dairazor, one million more individuals can be repatriated. So a total of two million refugees can be uh, repatriated. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, the feto terrorist organization known as FETO attempted to destroy the constitutional order of Turkey with a failed coup attempt, and it is a terrorist organization behind this failed coup. They have killed 251 individuals, harming 2,193 citizens, and they have even dared to bomb our parliament airborne. We have once again accentuated our expectations vis-à-vis our friends at the U.S. administration to once and for all eradicate their presence here. And we have also discussed with President Trump how to achieve the $100 billion trade volume threshold as soon as possible. We believe that we should not confuse political incidents with uh, commerce related aspirations. And our secretaries of commerce are currently heavily invested in achieving the $100 billion threshold. We hope and pray that we will shy away from certain measures which will make it much more challenging for us to reach these targets. And We have also quite naturally discussed our deeply rooted relations in the field of defense industry. Primarily the S-400 system and the F-35 program, we can only surmount the hurdles that we experience through dialogue. My dear friend previously stated back in Osaka at the G-20 summit the the injustice orchestrated against Turkey in terms of the acquisition of Patriot missiles. And we have clearly stated to President Trump that under suitable circumstances we could acquire Patriot missiles as well. As Turkey, we are ready and committed to sustain a very constructive dialogue with the United States Congress, and this is an idea that I've shared with President Trump as well. So with these thoughts in mind, I hope and pray that our discussions and deliberations all throughout the day with President Trump will yield the most auspicious results. I would like to take this opportunity to thank President Trump for their kind invitation and for being such gracious hosts all throughout the day. On behalf of my personal self, on behalf of my delegation, I would like to thank you. you All
0: right, so you're not going to hear this anywhere else. But let's just stop for a second. What did you first notice? President Trump said nothing, addressed nothing that Erdogan talked about when he gave his speech. What did he say? Yeah, we're going to talk about trade. We have a good relationship. We're going to talk about trade. We're going to talk about, hey, you know, let's figure something out in Syria. But talk about trade. He was short, sweet, and didn't say much. But what did you hear from Erdogan? Whoa. Let me break this down for you. So first of all, he made it clear you know, that he's salty about the... genocide bill. We're going to get to that. Let's take it in order. So the first thing he said was we've done so much. We've done so much for terrorism. We were on the front line you know, with al-Baghdadi that happened. We have 200 Daesh terrorists right now in jail. Our operations, uh, uh, you know, Peace spring was great. He kept saying YPG and PKK are terrorists and he's like, you know, other people may want to sympathize with them. That includes us because we trained them and they were working for us. And so he was constantly attacked our nation for saying, you know, the Kurds are our guys. He was like, you know, people the PKK and the YPG are attacking us uh, you know in the last 24 hours we had ni- 19 attacks you know um, in Talabia they put a bomb 13 civilians died you know uh, we want to f- uh, de-escalate the problems in Syria we're trying to fix it but you know so many nations are upset because they're siding with YPG and PKK claiming that they're the good guys you know and this is an allegation used to kill our relations so you need to stop saying it basically he's like you need to say that the Kurds are enemies and we won't do it. And then he got into the genocide resolution. He's like, the House just passed this to cause tension for something that happened like 104 years ago. You know, we got nothing to hide. Look, genocide happened, period. Right, guys, we've had all these years to side with every other nation. And Macron coming out saying NATO's brain dead right after he acknowledges the Armenian genocide. I told you they're trying to Uh, fast track this war and it can't happen. The, see, that's the thing. Okay. The thing about control is that you need to control when events happen, right? You need to be in control when you want, you know, to orchestrate something from the minute it sets off to how it happens to how it will. And and then that way you can predict the result. Right now, I've already told you that this war is going to be instigated by Turkey and taken home and ended by Russia, period. That is the way it's supposed to happen. That's the way the timeline is set out. This is how it's supposed to be done. And if the war is going to happen, because Erdogan has a choice. And wait till I get into more stuff he said. Remember, comparing the two leader statements, look what he said, look what our president said, right? The president was not having any of it. I told you that he had, a, you know, a really, really weird stance. I'm telling you, this is huge because the president probably told him, dude, you're going to get yourself killed. Uh, let's work on trade. We'll do whatever to keep the peace. We need to keep you in NATO. Why? Because they're the second largest military presence of NATO. And here Erdogan is saying, well, you know, the Senate needs to like rethink what they're doing because the House passed this resolution, which I do not disagree with the fact of passing a resolution, acknowledging the fact that they committed genocide. I do not do not get me wrong. They committed genocide in Greece. What they did was atrocious in the eighteen hundreds and nineteen atrocious. But when you're using it as a weapon to destroy foreign relations for bringing comfort to our enemies and our enemies, like I said, are the European Union. And you will understand this when I break down what the secretary general of NATO said, because this is what we have to do is listen more. Um, you know, at in the second hour, I will play governor Matt Bevin's full statement in, in when he conceded, and you will see how. The media didn't tell you what he was saying, but I will just like the media is not telling you what they're saying, but I will Erdogan made it clear. If you guys pass this resolution and claim that, you know, we're like these genocidal people, then that creates the, um, uh, you know, the majority to kick us out of NATO. If we're out of NATO and we can't enjoy common friendship, so that way we're restrained and you're restrained, so we don't have a full-out war. And remember, Turkey's got a lot of nuclear weapons, guys. Lots of them. Lots of them on the black market. They've been raping Syria for oil and energy. And they've been taking black market nuclear weapons from Iran. I mean, they were caught. You know, they've caught so many people transporting enriched, highly enriched uranium. Okay? So they've got nuclear weapons like nobody's business. They've got long range drones that they've created. They are the leaders in unmanned, you know, air tech. This can go from zero to a hundred in like a heartbeat. And he threatened when he was making these statements, he was like, you know, this is causing tension. What the house did was tension. We want, you know, we want to stay on the level of dialogue and discussion. Uh, you know, We want to be open with our allies and, you know, we spoke with Armenia. We're going to create a historical society which, in a sense, acknowledges what they did but doesn't officially. You know what I'm saying? Because this was 104 years ago, so the Senate hopefully will stop this resolution. Look, this resolution can be passed. Pass it when they're down and and fighting already. Don't do it now because the Democrats and the globalists weaponized something so pure, something so necessary for healing for all these people that were massacred by the Turkish people, right? The Turkish army massacred them. It was a genocide. I agree. But what they're doing is they're weaponizing it to accelerate war and to have us be in the middle of it when we want to stay out of it. You understand it's about control. This is why they're doing it. So um, he then went on to saying that, you know, Turkey, he reinforced that we're the most stable Okay, and reliable ally to fight terrorism. That's because they house terrorism. Every single terrorist goes through their nation. All the money that is being laundered. All you have to do is go to justice.gov. See all these people that are being arrested for providing money and weapons to ISIS. Thank you very much,
2: Mr. President.
0: Sorry, I like restarted. The the ones that are providing money and resources and weapons to ISIS all do it through. Turkey. So yes, Turkey is a strategic okay. partner if they want to stop it, all right? If they want to stop it. So here he goes giving you very very specific numbers. 7684 fighters were sent back to the countries of origin. 287 women and children fled the prisons because we, PKK and YPG let the women and children go, we captured them. Uh, 1016 Daesh people are in prison from 40 countries. President Trump is working on making these countries take their, uh, you know, terrorists back. Turkey is being painted as a target and we need to stop that. 9-11. 911, he said 911 kilometers are at the forefront. Very specific, even though it's more than that. 4 million refugees. He says, we've spent as a nation $40 billion to house, clothe, feed, and provide anything for these refugees. Europe said that they were going to give us money and all they gave was 3 billion euros despite the package that they agreed with. So they nigged on the agreement after President Trump became president. He said, you know, we have NGOs, um, you know, to do humanitarian stuff. And we've, you know, we talked about it in 2015 and how, you know, at the G20 summit in 2015, we talked about how delaying aid costs lives and it's tens of thousands that died. But here's where it gets really interesting. After he talks about his success of Operation Peace Spring, you know, he's just killing Kurds. We all know. Right, But we're trying our best to defuse the situation, grab hold of territory with oil and energy, make sure we secure it before anything else happens. But here's where it gets it. Remember that article that I wrote about the Marif Foundation, which is a state-funded NGO, and how they have schools here that train Muslim militants across the planet, Islamic terrorists are being trained, how we had one of those schools in New Jersey, and all of these people work for the state of Turkey. I have it on Loomer.com. Go read it, because he just referenced it. I knew this is a big deal. Nobody talks about it. He's like, oh, Fado School. Are a big problem. We need to fix that because they had that failed coup and we need to eradicate Fado in the US. No, he's upset because we just got his teachers that are all politicians. That is basically it. He's salty because we caught him. We caught him in over 33 nations across the planet. His state is funding a school that is training your new Muslim brotherhood. And that is a problem. And then he closed it on saying we should keep the politics and commerce separate. We're going to look to increase trade to $100 billion, like President Trump said. But we need to keep that separate. And our commerce secretaries are talking right now. So big difference from one president to another Let's just play one minute of what, uh, you know, President Trump has to say, kind of like a rebut.
2: I uh, called up the Senate. I asked a couple of our senators and we really ended up with five and others wanting to come and we'll keep them apprised. But some of them joined us. They happen to be here. Senator Jim Risch. Thank you, Jim, very much. Ted Cruz. Thank you very much. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, thank you. And Rick Scott. Thank you, Rick, very much. Uh, Joni is here, Joni Ernst, someplace. Uh, These are people that want to see peace in the Middle East, and I thought it would be appropriate to have them come over, and they met with the President, and we had a lot of very uh, frank discussion. And we're dealing with a very big subject, a complex subject. It's been going on for centuries in many cases, uh, but we're making a lot of progress, tremendous progress in the Middle East. Okay, uh, a couple of questions. Go ahead, OAN, go ahead.
0: Okay, so did you hear that? Who did he have? Rish, um, Cruz, Scott, um, Joni Aaron and Graham. What are they discussing? They're from the Senate. Yeah, you got it. Tory was on it. I told you guys this was a very big deal. Adam Schiff ran this. This is what they're doing. They're messing with our foreign policy. And in the next hour, I'm going to show you how Pelosi's bribery word is totally messing with our foreign relations again. I mean, these people need to be arrested. Oh, and we'll talk about that after the the break, too. But here's the first question from OAN. Take a listen.
5: Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Um, First, I'd like to just start out getting your general reaction today to the impeachment hearings on the Hill. Do you feel that Democrats made their case, and how did you feel about the Republican performance?
0: Okay, so that's OAN. Ridiculous. You've got the president of Turkey right there and you're talking about impeachment. Horrific journalism right there. That is, you know, guerrilla journalism. Pay attention because if I was there, I'd ask, how do you feel, you know, after your talks? uh you know how this is going to go forward you're meeting with the secretary general of nato tomorrow is there anything that you guys discussed in regards to your anticipations for the meeting that's what you ask you don't sit there and talk about domestic politics when you've got a president of another nation standing next to yours this is the problem with media no matter how good we see them no matter how much they're like lifting up swords in your name supposedly for patriotism this is where you need to pay attention in the details cuz the devil is Always in the details. And this is exactly it. That is what I've been talking about. Pay attention. Would any of you sit there and ask him about impeachment hearings when he's got President Erdogan right there? Right? All right. So after this break, we're going to get into the impeachment. We're going to get into the Kentucky fraud and how that's developing, even though he's conceded. I'll see you all in just a bit. News. Hey, welcome back everyone to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So before we get into, um, uh, stripping of robes and Kentucky, and I think I'm going to start with Kentucky. I just want to tidy up thing. Uh, you know, the news are not telling you what's going on, uh, and they're not going to tell you what's going on because it's not in their interest, right? Because it exposes the facade. It exposes what they say. So I want to tell you that the Secretary General of NATO came yesterday, met with the president, it wasn't any like really big conference, but there was one that you can find on YouTube. That was a train wreck. Cause you couldn't hear much. So I'll tell you what I'm talking about. So he said, Oh, we talked about international, um, terrorism coalition. We're dedicated to fighting, uh, ISIS, you know, um, we are, you know, looking into how we can uh, strengthen these things. Uh, you know, uh, this is very important. NATO is stronger than ever. It's the first time that EU and allies in Canada are paying more, thanks to what President Trump is doing. Um, you know, we are more, we are stronger than NATO from when we were created. We're strong today and more agile. Uh, you know, the future of the alliance is to protect and def- defend each other. And he made now. Pay attention to this. If we do not have, we are unable to actually... keep the relationship between the eu and the u.s good it will start to erode in distances will start to break that bond and so it is important that we understand the role of nato and how they go and you know turkey and um the nato membership was discussed um it is um uh, with NATO because of their purchase of the S-Force. And he kind of left it at that, that we're stronger, we're better, we're working together. So, um... Uh they, then they were he was asked, so the first thing they asked is like well Macron said that NATO is brain dead Uh you know what do you have it's uh, it's important that we keep NATO so we don't uh, have this distancing of relationship between the EU and the United States what did I tell you who is our enemy pay attention because they're bitter because they have to pay they've been getting away with not paying because we've been leading it that's basically how it is so uh, that was one question then they also asked about oh Turkey is fracturing NATO. And, you know, this is a uh, problem because, you know, they got the S-400s. And the secretary general of NATO said, look, the S-400 is a situation that is creating discussions and tensions. And the U.S. Uh, has also stated that it's incompatible with the F-35 program. We're on it. Um, you know, uh, Turkey is hosting 30 uh, hosting. Over 36 million refugees, um, uh, you know, throughout a period of uh, four years, um, they ha- they are a valued ally. Uh, you know, they have different uh, views on things and every uh, it seems like the EU has their own view. Turkey has their own view and the U.S. has their own view and we need to converge those. And he also said that with President Trump, he discussed Syria and ISIS and a support to find a political solution in North Eastern Syria. But here's the most important that he reiterated. He said, look, we're trying to work together to maintain this alliance because it is important to maintain peace. And if we exclude one member or decide to create a dissolution, distances between nations that have bonded will erode and there will be Tensions that he also then said, you know, we need to look at how the EU can start stepping up. Uh, you know, we discussed our commitment to climate change and we're at this point. I'm like, yep, President Trump totally tuned out. I don't know why he talked about climate change. Climate change, I'm going to means that's code for what they believe is the way climate change. This hoax making you believe in that sense. It is a hoax to take away our money. It is an elaborate hoax. Let's make elaborate hoax. Kentucky's um, thing because I want to get into the impeachment part because that is really, really important that we discuss it uh, because it, it, the one thing I noticed is no matter how far and wide you searched, you cannot find the full interview, but I have it. So I want you guys to listen to it. It is so important that we listen carefully because a lot of people were like, oh, my gosh, why did he concede? Listen to his speech, first of all, definitely not written by him if you compare other speeches. Second, he said a lot during this speech.
1: I uh, appreciate you being here. I know you've got a lot of stuff you're covering here uh, today on several fronts, and uh, later this afternoon as well. The invest I'm not even sure, is entirely done, but it's largely done. Uh, in what we expected, and it's what typically we see in recanvases. This time, maybe more than change. Uh, I think in certain NT ballots were not counted, uh, whereas now they are being included. So the actual number is going to fluctuate somewhat, but not so significantly that it's going to change the outcome of this election. Additionally, we know, as, as I have mentioned in the past, that there were, uh, ballots that were tabulated, absentee ballots, um, that were not properly followed. There is an actual formula by law whereby these are to be tabulated, which, again, was not done, but these, too, would not change the outcome. It would change it by some thousands, but instead of being now some thousands, it might be a thousand or some hundreds, but either way, it's still going to be the same end result. And so to that end, I just want to be clear, uh, we're going to have a change uh, in the governorship uh, based on the vote of people. And what I want... Uh, is to see the absolute best for Kentucky. I'm not going to contest uh, these numbers that have come in. Uh, it isn't fair to throw that uh, on our legislature to try to find something that there just isn't. We, we know of some things, but not enough uh, to cause us to think there's going to be a change. So to that end, um, I, I want to be very clear on a couple things. Things that had things gone down with different timing, we could have made these same comments earlier. I truly wish the Attorney General well as the next governor of this state as he assumes these responsibilities. I truly do. I love this state. I love this country. I love the the fact that we're blessed to live in a nation where things do transition uh, in ways that that much of the world wishes they had. Uh, There's not going to be people fighting uh, in the streets. Uh, There's a a natural uh, exchange of leadership. Uh, and we will have that. We've already been working our team with his team. Conversations have been had. Uh, and we'll continue to, and I think we should continue to, uh, expect to have a smooth transition. Our state does not afford a tremendous amount of time uh, to get these things done. It's tough to come in in just a handful of weeks, less than a couple of months. Uh, and so every single uh, facet of our administration uh, that is desired, is ready, willing, and able, some of whom are already doing this, others of whom are able and willing to, uh, as requested and desired, to help in this transition process. So, again, I wish uh, Attorney General Bashir well as he transitions uh, to his next role in this state. It's a big responsibility. I want to say this, though, while I'm assembled with you. I am, I could not, words would not allow me to to properly express the gratitude I have to the men and women who have served the Commonwealth in this administration in the last four years. There has never been, and I say this with absolute confidence, um, I would say it transcends even the boundaries of Kentucky itself, but there has never been in the history of Kentucky a more qualified, more professional, more dedicated, more competent Uh, more experienced, uh, more uh, ethically upright group of individuals working on behalf of the citizens of Kentucky as we've seen in the last four years. We've we've set the bar very high as it relates to what people should expect from government. People should not expect corruption. They should not expect uh, people getting contracts that they didn't uh, earn or deserve or that they're not qualified for. They should expect people who come to work every day and work long, hard hours on behalf of the people of Kentucky. And to a person, we've had this. If you remember, some of you perhaps, when we covered this in the beginning, um, I looked for things in our Cabinet officials uh, that were really threefold. Number one, I looked for people of good character. Number two, people that were competent, that actually knew what it was that they would be overseeing. And number three, people that were committed to serving. And this is exactly what we've had. Kentucky is politically and otherwise in sort of a transition stage. We have been. We continue to be. We're seeing a sea change happen, um, but it's not happening in a momentous way. It's happening in fits and starts. But there is a sea change happening, and it's a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's a natural order of things in some respects to have these fits and starts, uh, but good progress has been made. I hope there's never a discussion in the history of Kentucky again about whether or not we should fund the pensions. The pensions are still in dire, dire trouble uh, in this state, and they need tremendous amounts of resources allocated to them and tremendous uh, levels of attention paid to them as we move forward.
0: All right, so I'm just going to pause it right there and I want you guys to pay attention. So the first thing he said was that there was uh election issues. Uh there were election issues, uh there was tampering, there was, you know, uh problems with ballots, but in the end from the 5,198 votes that cost him this election, this would have changed this wouldn't have changed the result, he said. Uh it would have been thousands or even hundreds of a difference uh between him and the new AG, but you know, I digress. You know, that's basically what he said. I wish the new AG, you know, good luck. The second thing he did was mention how it's important to have a smooth transition, you know, for the sake of the people. And that's something that we heard 45 tell us, right? And um, on many things, but he said also, and he mentioned, don't fire my people, dude, when you come in, these people have been in there before I was there. There's a total of 800, you know, so many, 600 people or 800, he said, 400 of them were there before I came. They've been doing this for a long time and their interest is the state of Kentucky. And you need to look at these pensions because I got a lot of flack for it and these pensions are a really big deal and we need to allocate this money because my people don't have pensions. Why are we focusing on amalgamated bank, which is going belly up?
1: Uh, Or they will fail and none of us want to see that happen. It's going to cost billions and billions of dollars every single year. I hope we don't go back to pretending it's not a problem. We have infrastructure needs in this state that are being addressed for the first time ever, our state parks being resuscitated, being revitalized like we've never seen in decades in this state. I hope that continues to move forward. This is something that's good for all of Kentucky. It really has nothing to do with R's or D's. Same with our infrastructure, our roads and bridges. $6 $6 billion worth of deferred maintenance just four years ago. We've made some decent inroads into that. We've already finished 100 bridges of the 1,000 that are underway. Another several hundred contracts have been let. These are things that, again, we want to see continue forward because these, all these things I'm mentioning now are, have nothing to do with ideology whatsoever. So these are things where an establishment has been laid out there. We've set every record possible as it relates to anything of an economic sort. With more people working now in Kentucky than ever in the history of the state. I hope that forward projection, that forward momentum continues. This is something that's good for all of us. It's going to come by making sure that we take good care of the people that employ those folks and creating an environment from a tax standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, that continues to make Kentucky a good place to work. I mean, we wear these little buttons. I'm not wearing mine right now. I actually gave it to somebody earlier. But these little red buttons with the scissors uh, that are cutting through red tape, we've cut or modernized more than 28% of all the regulation in this state. And our legislature a couple years ago passed a a rule now that any new regulation will sunset automatically after seven years. These things are critical and are very much involved with why we have seen $22 billion uh, in private capital invested in this state in the last several years. I hope we see that continue. It's critical that we see it continue. So he
0: lays out all these accomplishments and these foundations that he created. The one thing he talked about was corruption in regards to the way you hand out contracts. Kind of like the contract of who runs the uh, county clerk computer systems. I mean, it's not like the state legislators didn't know that the guy that runs every single computer for the county clerks Also, 100 percent owns the company that runs the elections. I mean, how do you have that exist and not know? He knows that he now realizes that I think the governor didn't even know that existed, honestly, because they skew the name so much that if you look up Roger Baird, he tells you that he has SMI acquisition. But no one tells you that SMI acquisition is, in fact, software management LLC. This is how criminals get away with everything. (laughs) Wait till you hear what's to come with this because you will not believe this, but Mitt Romney's involved too. Like, how incredible is that? But sticking to what the governor is saying, he's telling the attorney general, this is what I've done. I've created jobs. I've made sure that there's no corruption in regards to how we hand out contracts. We don't give it to our buddies. We give it to the best people. I have injected $22 billion of private investments because I have made the right tax cuts to attract businesses. And I also have created, uh, you know, l- less regulation. And not only that, if we create a new regulation after seven years, it goes away and we need to revisit it so he put term limits on regulations which is pretty badass if you ask me then he also went to say that he keeps reinforcing this is not a Republican or a Democrat thing this is a state thing I want you to understand that if you're doing this do not screw this up because this is about the people but he has no idea who he's talking to but as you can tell this speech was very well done He mentioned how he um, reinforced infrastructure. Here's where it's going to start to get really good if you pay attention to what he says.
1: It has to happen. And these are going to be in-state and out-of-state CEOs that are going to be responsible. And so I hope rhetoric gets checked and I hope people start to actually work collectively for the good of the people of Kentucky. This is what I want. This is what I'm dedicated to. One thing you will not see, I'm not going to be publicly undermining or second-guessing anything that is done. I am sure there will be things I'm excited by and have in complete agreement with, and there will be things that I will probably be on the other side of the equation with, and this is the way things are. But the nature of government and what serves Kentucky well and best is if we see a logical transition, I would hope Yes, as, as, as has been done, that there's as little disruption as well in some of the rank-and-file people within even appointed positions. I think of the 800 and some odd people that I had in appointed positions in my administration, about 600 of them were already here when I came in four years ago. And I hope those kind of things continue because it's good. That type of continuity, there are very good people. They happen to be Republicans. They happen to be Democrats. They happen to be independents. But there's a lot of good people in government. And uh, seeing that continuity continue, I think, would be wise. It would behoove us. We've got as well operating a government uh, as we've ever had. I mean, that's without any question.
0: Okay, so I was wrong on the numbers because I was going off memory. But, hey, I was kind of close. So out of 800, 600 of them he kept. They're both Republican and Democrat. Here is where he's saying that we need to make sure that we – make this transition smooth and that there's no retaliation this is what he's saying this is the adult speak for I don't want to see retaliation I want to see things done and I won't publicly voice out or undermine what you do Bashir. I won't he's making it clear to them okay he's making it clear
1: it is amazing the caliber of people that we have So on all these fronts, again, I I just want to wrap up where I began with two things. Number one, an absolute heartfelt thanks to the men and women who have busted their tail on behalf of the Commonwealth, some of whom will not continue to. Some, even if given the opportunity, will choose perhaps to do different things going forward, others of whom uh, may not be given the opportunity. But for those men and women who have been here at the OARS for these last four years, I just have... It's impossible for me to articulate my gratitude that I have and the good things that have been done and to their spouses and to their children as well. I'm just grateful. I really am because it has taken a tremendous toll on a lot of people to be able to serve in this kind of a way. It's the type of standard that I hope all of you who cover this should expect it. It's why these positions are intended to be finite in nature. Politics was never intended to be a career for anybody, nor should it be, and it's because it exhausts people if done well. I hope that we have set a standard for work ethic and integrity and ethics, the likes of which uh, we're not going to revert backward from. And the final thing I'll say, too, is that I truly want the best uh, for Andy Bashir as he moves forward. I genuinely want him to be successful. I want this state to be successful. I want this state to rise, continuing on the trajectory that it is, above and beyond every stereotype, beyond every, uh, perhaps, uh, shortcoming that we've had in the past or low expectation that we've historically had. We've started to shatter all these new records of an economic sort. I hope next year is yet the fourth year in a row of record-level exports. I hope that we have next year even more people working than we do now, which is already an all-time record. I hope that unemployment continues to go down, although that will create its own challenges. And I hope that the people who are moving to this state continue to do so because of the upside potential. And all of this is going to require leadership, not only from the governor, but from so many other people as well. And so to our incoming attorney general... I wish him the absolute very best. Daniel Cameron will have a lot of work to do, and I'm grateful that we have somebody of his caliber that's coming aboard. Michael Adams coming in uh, as Secretary of State, in all sincerity, will probably more than the governor or the attorney general have more on his plate in the next immediate year or two and have more ability to transform this state than than we have seen uh, in a long time. There's a lot of need to clean up the roles. There really is. To our incoming uh, Commissioner of Agriculture, Ryan Quarles, he's doing such a stellar
0: so I just wanted to point out. So he went through the points, right, of, yeah, I hope you do this. I hope you do that. I wish you the best. Then he said, look, the attorney general, uh, the governor that's coming in, I wish him the best. The attorney general that's coming in, Cameron, he's got work to do, and I wish him the best. But the biggest job that's going to fall on someone's lap immediately in this year and the coming year is based on the new Secretary of State, Mr. Adams. And he said it is important that he, um, you know, Rise up to the challenges, you know, that are definitely coming in the short term. And we need to clean up the roles.
1: Listen. ...job, he'll continue to. Allison Ball in the treasurer's office, same thing. Mike Harmon as auditor, same thing. This continuity is important to Kentucky. The very final thing I will say is this. And this is something that I would ask all of you, especially in the media, but those of you that are watching and those of you that are involved in government are going to continue to be involved in government. It is critical, and a lot of this will fall on, frankly, work being done between the Secretary of State, uh, Mike Adams, uh, and the Attorney General, uh, Daniel Cameron. Probably more on Mike Adams than anybody. There is.
0: Again, okay, listen, so he's like the treasurer and the auditor are going to have a big, you know, a job to do too, and it's important for continuity, but here's the kicker. This is the part that they cut out of every interview. He said, I will ask the media and everyone who's involved in government and politics, listen, it is critical that the Secretary of State and the Attorney General, the new Secretary of State and the new Attorney General, both Republican, Adams, and Cameron work together. Listen to what he says.
1: It's not... And it's not good, no matter how your ideology or how you tend to vote. There is not any real sense of transparency with how the voting process works. And the more people look into this, and this isn't nothing new. HBO did a document uh, documentary on this, a documentary on this, uh, 13 years ago, I think, back in 2006. And um, what you're going to see is that we do not have checks and balances. And that whether you are a liberal or a conservative, whether you vote one way or the other, we should make sure that we have integrity in the election process. And the ability to ensure that when somebody goes in, especially when there is no paper ballot, when it's 100% digital and electronic, to make sure that people have confidence. Because if the people lose confidence in their ability to actually know that the vote they cast is the one that was tabulated for the person they intended it to be for. If we lose that ability, I don't care your ideology, we lose something in America that is the uniqueness of our nation. And we really can't afford to see that confidence erode because that's a confidence on both sides of the aisle. We've got to be able to have integrity, and I would encourage to ensure that the roles are accurate, that the ways in which we tabulate votes are accurate, that there is recourse to be able to determine what was or was not cast. These things are critical. These are not going to be done in a day, a week, a month, or maybe even a year, but in the months and years ahead, these are things not only in Kentucky, bigger than this one race or this one state or this one year, this is an issue for America to take very seriously.
0: Did you hear that, guys? Okay, so basically, I'm going to run through the commercials. So basically what he said was that, you know, this is really, really important. We need to have transparency in the election process. Because if people lose faith, which they have, that their vote, their sacred vote, like I said, this is the only thing that separates the United States of America to the rest of the world, is that your voice is heard with your vote. That is a problem. It is not a partisan issue. This should be for every single American, no matter what your ideology is. You can be Antifa. You could be a Democrat. You could be a communist. Well, no, communists don't care about votes or socialists. So let's move on. Uh, you know, Republican, alt-right, whatever you identify as politically, this should be your business if you believe that you have the right to freedom. And he is making that clear. Funny how they clipped this part out. But here's where he gives a nod. Um, aside from the fact that he warned of what's to come with the secretary of state, here is where he gives a nod to what is to come. Because like I said, Millie Weaver and I, uh, having gotten the whistleblower information and more that came, uh, you know, yesterday, we realized that we stepped into an ongoing criminal investigation on a federal level ongoing criminal investigation on a federal level before the elections came to be. Remember that, before the elections came to be. And we will continue to push out more and more and more on this because we need to keep talking about it because we have other elections coming up. We're going to have our eyes on Louisiana. We need to be paying attention because once we determine their method, which we kind of have, um, and we see a repeat, it's game over for them.
1: Bye. And there are people working on this. I would encourage them to continue to do so. Uh, but it's imperative that we have people in positions of leadership in secretary of state's offices, in attorney general's offices, where these things fall to the responsibility of to determine how best to ensure that the votes we cast are the votes uh, that are tabulated. So, I again, I appreciate you all. I thank you for those of you who have covered that which we've done. Continue to expect great things from Kentucky. There's a lot of good people uh, that are going to continue to be at the helm. Uh, and in the meantime, we've got a lot of wood yet to chop for the next three, four weeks, a lot of cleanup of things. So thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks. Okay, so how was that interview? That was really awesome, right? So he said there's a lot of people, and I encourage him to continue working on this. You know, And like I've said, more whistleblowers come forward. I'm ready. I've already, you know, talked, uh, you know, with people that, uh, you know, are working on this on their end. I know that I can't release uh, information like because I was actually planning to create a page on the Tory Says page and just dump everything unredacted. Like I was like I was told I could do that. So I was going to drop it unredacted. And that's when it's like they were listening on the call. That's when we were told, hey, don't do it. Um. So, um what we're going to see here is this evolve and Kentucky will be that ground zero because what we discovered is, is that we see a repeat of non-transparency. You know what? A lot of people are like, we want the logs of the uh, ballots, right? We want the logs. We want to see them. And it's like, hold on a second. Let me tell you how this works. To get the logs, you need to subpoena a private company. You can't do an open records request on private company Harp Enterprises. We know that, right? They're not... Um, forced to have an open records request. Now, if you go to the county clerk, you can get an open records request, but you only see theirs. If you try to see the computer logs on their systems, on the county clerk system, you can't. Guess what? Because the same guy that owns the election comp, the election ballot company, right? Also owns the networking systems for the county clerks. So what you have to do is subpoena that company and say, I want to see the logs and the transmissions. I want to see how you moved our votes to be tallied in Europe and Hong Kong. I want to see why that happened. They're like, yeah, you know, we're a private company. We don't have to give it to you, but you're servicing the computers of the county clerk. Yeah. So you're not getting it. So basically you're stuck and you get nothing. He knows it now. I told you about it and guess what? The right people already knew about it. See, this isn't something new. They already knew about it, but nobody's talking about it. You know, if you saw the live, you know, um, Press conference, if you want to call it, where these two women that have no experience with the vicious vultures called the media that are there to just stand up. And let me tell you something. Everyone was saying, Lex 18, why don't you report Lex 18? why don't you? I'll tell you why, because Bob Babbitt is one of their correspondents and he's funding a majority of this stuff. Let's talk about Babbitt. Oh, Mr. Babbitt, you got some stuff coming your way. And, you know, this is going to be pretty exciting now. On that note of correspondence on NBC Lex 18 or California, I dropped an article last night. A lot of people talked about it, about Dr. Hessler, you know, the NBC Emmy award-winning correspondent that was on TV. That got caught for getting, uh, you know, sexually explicit uh, pictures of a nine-year-old that he solicited from the nine-year-old that happened to be his friend's daughter. Now... First of all, where is that mom that's disgusting pimping your kid out for clout? That's really nasty. But you know, it's something normal in Hollywood and in political circles, you know, putting your kids in warm pools for everyone to enjoy. So that way, maybe you get a nicer house or you get a better job or you feel protected or you're part of the swamp. You're like the lower level swamp, the ones that they they have sex with your kids because you want to go ahead. That's disgusting. It is disgusting, but yet it happens. But here's the funny part. It's funny how people that are in the out in the orbits of Adam Schiff are getting plucked one by one. So in my article, I demonstrated some stuff that nobody else found, like there's another, you know, another person with the same name caught. With porn, kitty porn, making kitty porn, you gotta look at my article on ToriSays.com where I drove it home. In there, I've got a lot of interesting tidbits. But I'm also hearing that we might have a recess on this impeachment hearing because I'm hoping somebody's got a lawn chair to wherever Schiff is because it sounds like some indictment's popping and there might be an arrest. Ooh, I wonder. Did Adam Schiff get any texts from uh, his buddy, Dr. Hurst, Dr. Pito? Let's change that. Did he get any texts? I mean, you know, they all share with each other, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. I want to be there with a lawn chair. Hello. I want to be there with a lawn chair. Hello. So I am now going to move on to the show. The circus show. And I am going to play, right? I'm going to play the beginning of this clown show, uh, where, um, Adam Schiff begins, oh, whoop, let me stop this. Um, where Adam Schiff begins his, um, his, um, speech, you know, on this clown show. It's very important that we look at this clown show carefully and understand where we're going. So let's, um, let's get that going. Where are you, Schiff? There you go. All right, because I think my thing moved. Let me see. All right, right there.
6: Committee will come to order. Good morning, everyone. This is the second in a series of public hearings the committee will be holding as part of the House's impeachment inquiry. Without objection, the chair is authorized to declare recess of the committee at any time. There is a quorum present. We will proceed today in the same fashion as our first hearing. I'll make an opening statement, and then Ranking Member Nunes will have the opportunity to make a statement. Then we will turn to our witness for an opening statement, and then to questions. For audience members, we welcome you and respect your interest in being here. In turn, we ask for your respect as we proceed with today's hearing. It is the intention of the committee to proceed without disruptions. As chairman, I will take all necessary and appropriate steps to maintain order to ensure that the committee is run in accordance with House Rules and House Resolution 660. With that, I now recognize myself to give an opening statement in the impeachment inquiry into Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States. In April 2019, the United States Ambassador to Ukraine Maria Ivanovich was in Kiev when she was called by a senior State Department official and told to get on the next plane back to Washington. Upon her return to D.C., she was informed by her superiors that although she had done nothing wrong, she could no longer serve as ambassador to Ukraine because she did not have the confidence of the president. It was a stunning turn of events for this highly regarded career diplomat. Who had done such a remarkable job fighting corruption in Ukraine, that a short time earlier she had been asked by the State Department to extend her tour. Ambassador Ivanovich has been in the Foreign Service for 33 years and served much of that time in the former Soviet Union. Her parents had fled Stalin, and later Hitler, before settling in the United States. She is an exemplary officer who is widely praised and respected by her colleagues. She is known as an anti-corruption champion whose tour in Kiev was viewed as very successful. Ambassador Michael McKinley, who had served with her in the Foreign Service for several decades, stated that from the earliest days of her career in the Foreign Service, she was excellent, serious, committed. I certainly remember her being one of those people who seemed okay. to be destined.
0: We need to sh- we things. need to shut Schiff off. Okay, did you guys see what he did right there? I'm just going to point it out to you. He tried to say she escaped Hitler. She ran. Her family are full of champions. You mean she's part of the Bronfman network? She's part of the Hitler network. Remember, Bush's daddy was funding Hitler. Oh, <laughs> let's just get back to that because we can trace it all the way back to there. Let's stop talking rubbish. And You know, what was awesome that the president pointed out Somalia, something that I've been on with Lutheran social services. Seems like we're paying we're we're paying them with tax dollars to go and find these horrific non, you know, assimilating migrants and just bring them over to our nation. And all of them happen to be jihadis, you know. Why aren't we um, extraditing, extraditing? That sounds so bad. I'm going to take that back, walking it right back. Why aren't we? <laughs> because then that it, it gives credit to them to what they're doing, the slaughter of Christians. Why aren't we bringing Christian, you know, Somalis, Christian people from the Republic of Congo, Christian people from Burma? Why aren't we bringing the Christians? Why are we bringing the Islamic terrorists? That are all coming here and then funding ISIS. Like this is insane. This is, this is their plan. <laughs> you know, even back in history, okay, I'm gonna transport you back to the times of the pharaohs and the caesars. They used and weaponized people as a dead army. Kamikaze army. We can go to the time of Imhotep. We can go as far as you want. Mm. and Caesars and pharaohs and kings that you will never hear of because they were a disgrace to humanity that have all seemed to be almost reincarnated with actual faces here. Pure evil. Pure evil that take children, that use humans as commodities. You are cattle. Mm. Talking about beef farts, right? Who is... Their sustenance. You have to think. It is so horrific, but you have to think sustenance, sustenance, farming. Now, let's just, uh, you know, see what Nunez says about this cultish, fiery statement and how we should just bend the knee to Yovanovitch because her parents fled uh, supposedly the Hitler regime and came here. Yovanovitch self-proclaimed herself as gatekeeper to the DOJ. She defied every single American, and she should not even... You know, if I was there, I'd be one of those petty people that would walk up and snatch that sign that says Ambassador Yvonne. She doesn't even deserve to have that title attached to any, anything of hers. I I don't want my federal tax dollars to be funding her pension either. I don't.
5: It's unfortunate that today and for most of next week, we will continue engaging in the Democrats' day-long TV spectacles instead of solving the problems we were all sent to Washington to address. We now have a major trade agreement with Canada and Mexico ready for approval, a deal that would create jobs and boost our economy. Meanwhile, we have not yet approved funding for the government, which expires next week, along with funding for our men and women in uniform. Instead, the Democrats have convened us once again to advance their operation to topple a duly elected president. I'll note that five, five Democrats on this committee had already voted to impeach this president before the Trump-Zelensky phone call occurred. In fact, Democrats have been vowing to oust President Trump since the day he was elected. So Americans can rightly suspect that his phone call with President Zelensky was used as an excuse for the Democrats to fulfill their Watergate fantasies. But I'm glad that on Wednesday, after the Democrats staged six weeks of secret depositions in the basement of the Capitol, like some kind of strange cult, the American people finally got...
0: They probably uh, like slaughtered chickens to Moloch in that basement. These nefarious, disgusting excuses of pretend human beings, (laughs) you know, when you meet people up close, right? There's two things that your brain processes within the first five seconds, the pitch of their voice. And these are unseen processes, unknown processes that your brain conducts that you cannot even explain sometimes somebody's voice just irritates the heck out of you. And you're just like, why sometimes their face tells you everything you need to know, especially their eyes. You know how people look at someone's eyes and they're like, Oh, you know, every time people meet me in person, they're just like, dude, it's like, it's like behind your eyes is like this crying little kid in the back. Even though I can be super, super, you know, bitchy and talking and none and na. Nah, the eyes give away your soul, as they say, right? Mirrors to your soul. It's very important that we focus on what their eyes tell you. Focus on which people exaggerate their eyes to conceal the actual soul in there. You need to pay attention to that. And you know, that's actually a strategy. Um, animation of your face, hyper animation of your face conceals your actual um, responses. So there's two ways. People that can control their facial features very well, which is uh, very slim to none. So the next strategy when you want to uh, mask what you actually feel is to hyper- animate your your face. And I do that too, but I say I do it for radio, but I will do that uh, because in that way they can't read. It's kind of like you're throwing noise, disinformation on purpose. Do you see what I'm saying? But the trick is with hyperanimation that you can always see behind it easier, especially when you're deviating, you know, when you're like, if you're excited, right? And you want to show that you're excited, uh, but you are excited because they're going down, not because you're excited about what they're doing, right? So you're just like, yeah, totally, na na na. But your eyebrows will show, I'm so great. This is so great. I am so happy you're doing the da-da-da payback. Your eyebrows will give it away. These micro things will give it away. So I just want you to pay attention to all these people and the way they speak and see who is hyper, hyper, right, animated, and why and you'll notice that many many times myself on camera i'm hyper animated and for some reason i'm really bad at camera you know i need a new camera or i just need a, i need a better you know camera on my computer let's put it that way because you know it's at a bad angle it's like way too high i'm like five foot nothing and the angle that i have it at for some reason even though it's way too high the, the way it is it goes under and i make myself look the most unattractive i can you know, it's all about angles. But what I'm trying to point out to you is the tone and the response. And this is why we saw Dr. Ford look like a crying, you know, um, uterus vagina on tv all she did was like cry um with her with her face not with actual tears and we see the same card being played by Jovanovich, um uh, using sexual politics you know that's one weapon women have is sexual politics that is one of the biggest cards because they can use that to victimize or dominate and there's a very fine line um, on how to keep it neutral and uh, achieving those two uh, without making it very apparent. Obviously, Yovanovitch didn't work really hard. So what Nunez is telling you is that they have a cult. Listen to the words they are telling you because it is so beyond you. You have no idea. I mean, disclosure should be coming soon, but, uh, you know, this we've really got to understand the spoon feeding. You really understand the, have to understand the fact that children, human beings are actual commodities and you'll understand why Planned Parenthood was created, why we have this gap of information, why we have this strong push of disinformation. And you know what? The good guys also push out this information because it's actually very necessary. Smoke screens, smoke them out. And this is where it comes down to it. You know, I saw Wyatt tweet out, you know, President Trump is like Rambo. You remember the part where Rambo was being shot at and then he kind of like smirked and said, oh, yeah, you watch me. I'm going to get this bandana. I'm going to set up all the traps and I'm going to look scared and you're going to come at me while I th- well you think I'm scared but I'm going to take you out and once you're in my traps that's when I come out being like you know with my gun taking you down this is exactly where the democrats are at they they have entered the area of all these traps and they've realized that they can't go backwards cuz there's more traps so they got to push forward and you know rambo isn't so vulnerable anymore now is he He's strapped on that bandana and watch him go listen carefully to what Nunes says next
5: meanwhile we have not yet approved funding for the government which expires next week along with funding for our men and women in uniform instead the democrats have convened us once again to advance their operation to topple a duly elected president I'll note that five, five Democrats on this committee had already voted to impeach this president before the Trump-Zelensky phone call occurred. In fact, Democrats have been vowing to oust President Trump since the day he was elected. So Americans can rightly suspect that his phone call with President Zelensky was used as an excuse for the Democrats to fulfill their Watergate fantasies. But I'm glad that on Wednesday, after the Democrats staged six weeks of secret depositions in the basement of the Capitol, like some kind of strange cult, the American people finally got to see this farce for themselves. They saw us sit through hours of hearsay testimony about conversations that two diplomats who had never spoken to the president heard secondhand, hand third-hand, and fourth-hand from other people. In other words, rumors. The problem of trying to overthrow a president based on this type of evidence is obvious. But that's what their whole case relies on, beginning with second-hand and third-hand information cited by the whistleblower. That's why on Wednesday, the Democrats were forced to make the absurd argument that hearsay can be much better evidence than direct evidence.
0: Of course, Facebook court. This is what we have. A bunch of people on their lawn chair talking smack about each other, and they're now the uh, the court of public opinion. It's not working, though. It's not working. You're losing the camps on both ends. Now, here's where we're going to get into the bribery word. You know what's sweet justice? Is that Justice Antonin Scalia has come from beyond the grave and annihilated the word bribery. I said it yesterday that bribery is a very specific word, and it infers that, you know, you give someone something that they're not entitled to in exchange for something else. Now, they picked it. Oh, it's in the Constitution. Yeah, it totally is. But what Nancy forgot to tell everybody is we picked that word because we can't use extortion because extortion is actually defined in the Constitution, and we can't nail that on President Trump. But bribery has no definition. And see, back in the 90s, you know, when the Clintons were reigning over America, they tried to get Hillary Karen, in. They tried to do all this. And then the good guys finally pushed, yo, rapist, we're going to call you out. All these people died in the 90s attached to the Clintons, right? Remember, Espy, uh, the um, secretary of agriculture? Well, he got caught taking bribes. Now, bribery isn't defined in the Constitution. So when you're going after the secretary of agriculture, you got to prove that like nobody's business, because the definition of bribery is the offering, giving, receiving or soliciting of something of value for the purpose of influencing the action of an official in the discharge of his or her public legal duties. This also infers that even if you're seeking undue influence over that person's actions, But the thing is, regardless of who initiates the deal, either party to an act of bribery can be found guilty of the crime independently of the other. In essence, bribery, there's two parties. They both have to be working together. That is how it comes together. So what what Nancy did yesterday on a global stage was claim that the Ukrainian president, President Zelensky, committed a crime. Because there can't be bribery if there's only one person. But here's what Justice Antonin Scalia had said. Because guess what? The word bribery was defined in the Supreme Court. And you know how it was defined? The Clintons got their Secretary of Agriculture pardoned from all charges. Like he got away with it. And sun growers, um, sun diamond growers, um, were actually, you know, in trouble because they threw him under the bus. So basically they were like, well, he was telling us we need to give him this so that we can get this. You know, it had to do with raisins or whatnot. And they totally threw him under the bus. And that's how it came about. It should have been extortion, but they used the word bribery because bribery isn't defined. So after he was, you know, pardon. Oh, you didn't do anything. You're a good boy. Good job. Clinton's right. The, the Sun Diamond Growers, they retaliated against them, saying that they were trying to bribe him, but he refused, right? When it was extortion. So this, they got, they got charged in 1999, they appealed, appealed to the point that they went to the Supreme Court in 2000. And here is what Justice Antonin Scalia said. If the government did not have to prove this linkage, then a token gift such as the presentation of a sports jersey by a championship team to the president could be regarded as a criminal act. What they have to prove without a doubt in bribery is that both parties were consenting to this. Because if you want to bribe me to get into the club and you show me 50 and I actually take it, right, or even if I don't, and I let you in or something happens or whatever. Right. Then you've accepted it. So basically, if they're going by the argument that we held, withheld aid and then gave it to them, then you would think, well, wait a minute. Did you just slip them a 50? And they said no, but you still gave them the 50 makes no sense. Right. So they have to prove that linkage. And that is where it is robes will be stripped they didn't want to call it quid pro quo because you know everybody in america is too stupid to know latin the word for bribery is found in the constitution not defined justice scalia defined it and nancy pelosi proclaimed that president Zelensky committed a crime this has jeopardized our national security with a press conference this is huge this should not go unpunished and quid pro joe biden actually committed extortion it is not bribery it is extortion what he did that is in fact quid pro quo because you need quid pro quo to prove bribery too on that note guys i want to wish you a wonderful weekend stay tuned because i hear adam schiff may be having to deal with some things this weekend and next week's going to be really really fast buckle up It's going to be a wild ride. God bless from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio.